0: Welcome to an appropriately musically explicit edition of the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Young Turks, Tom Hartman, Ring of Fire, On the Media, and NPR.
1: We're in the middle of history right now. It's a history-making campaign, not by uh, Barack Obama, although it is by him as well, of course, for different reasons. But by John McCain, he's making history and running the dirtiest, ugliest presidential campaign ever, uh, and it goes unabated. It has now spilled over into rallies for other Republican senators. Saxby Chambliss, uh, it in uh, Republican uh, senator, of course, uh, at a rally talking about Obama. And uh, I'm sorry, it was a debate between uh, the Republican Senator Saxby Chambliss and his Democratic challenger, and a member in the audience shouts out, bomb Obama. So now that's three specific calls for violent action against Obama. Kill him off of his head and bomb Obama, okay? Let alone the yelling of treason and traitor and, and... the hooligan and socialist and all the other things. Socialists at this point, see, it sounds so benign. I'm like, oh, please bring me back socialist, right? Although as absurd as that is. So now uh, let me give you some of the quotes from uh, Republicans who are concerned. John Weaver was the former top strategist for John McCain, lifelong friend. Here's his quote. People need to understand for moral reasons and the protection of our civil society the difference with Senator Obama are ideological based on clear differences on policy and lack of experience compared to senator mccain and from a purely practical political vantage point please find me a swing voter an undecided independent or a torn female voter that finds an angry mob mentality attractive he's saying number one this is ugly morally speaking number two it doesn't work anyway you're turning off all the independent voters and so what are you doing And number three, look at what he says. He says it threatens the protection of civil society. That's an enormous statement to make. This is the former top strategist for John McCain, one of his best uh, friends uh, throughout his life, saying, Dude, you're threatening civil society. What are you doing? This is so out of hand. Here is that quote I mentioned earlier Governor of Michigan, William milliken former governor of Michigan, of course. He said, This is a man who endorsed John McCain early on. Quote, he is not the McCain I endorsed. He keeps saying, Who is Barack Obama? I would ask the question, Who's John McCain? Because his campaign has become rather disappointing to me. I'm disappointed in the tenor and personal attacks on the part of the McCain campaign when he ought to be talking about the issues. Excellent job, Governor Milliken. That is exactly right. The question isn't, Who is Barack Obama? The question is, Who is John McCain? Really? Rolling Stone, terrific article about what a fraud the real Maverick is, and how, what a joke it is. And he's explaining how he's just like George W. Bush in that he's been handed everything on a silver platter. Talks about how he's did terrible in school after school, not just bad grades but disciplinary problems. Even his friends called him McNasty and Punk and thought he had a real temper problem. And a personality problem; couldn't get along with anybody. And he was—we've explained to you many times on the show—he's crashed three different planes before he went to Vietnam. And they say they interviewed person after person in the Navy, saying, "No way in hell anybody else would have gotten to fly another plane after one of those crashes, let alone two of those crashes, let alone three of those crashes. No way, no how." But why? Because his dad and his grandfather were legendary admirals in the Navy. In fact, he got transferred at one point after the first two crashes over to Mississippi, where he was practicing on McCain Field, literally named after his grandfather. Okay, he comes in and he's uh, told by Air Control, "Hey, you need to go on a holding pattern. Uh, we're not ready to receive your plane yet." He says, "Clear the decks. I'm going to come in." This is a quote. He said. Otherwise, I'll take my field and go home. Who does that remind you of? George Frickin' W. Bush. They had two great lines in the piece. One was, "To be fair, this comparison is not exactly right because George Bush was a much better pilot." (laughs) And it's absolutely true, man. No one's crashed planes like McCain has. I don't know if he broke a record. I don't know. I don't know. Has there been somebody who's crashed six planes before? You know what one of the things the Rolling Stone called up? I loved it. I, I know this is a little childish, but I'm, I was having too much fun with it. Bottom gun. It's <laughs> a top gun. Bottom gun. The worst. Graduated 894th out of 899. The guy didn't read his manuals, man. He, you know why he crashed the planes over and over? Because he didn't know what to do when something went wrong. Because he never bothered to even read the manuals. What a pathetic loser! So one of the guys says to him, they served in um, in the POW camp together. Uh, they come back 1974, uh, and he's having a conversation with McCain. He says, "Where are you going?" McCain asked him where he's going. He says, oh, "I'm going to go to the Middle East because I think that's a hot spot that's going to come up. I'm going to go to Kuwait, Lebanon, Turkey, and and somewhere else, right?" And you're like, "Wow, this guy's on top of it. Really wants to, you know?" And he was right. That is where the hot spots were. He says uh, to John McCain, where are you going? He says, Rio. As in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil? He's like, yeah. He's like, why? What's happening there? At this point, remember, McCain is married and has three kids. He says, I think I can get laid there more. Uh, Okay, put aside the kids and the adultery and the whatever, right? I mean, look at this clown. What a clown. (laughs) Maverick. Everything about John McCain is about John McCain. (laughs) You, You know... Talk about he just took that Malcolm X saying right over by any means necessary. I got to crash a couple of planes. I don't care. I'm going to fly anyway because I want to have a good war record so I can be a hero like my pa and grandpa. I finish at the bottom of my class. Who cares? By any means necessary. I'm going to be president. Oh, people are yelling out treason off of his head. Who cares? I'm going to be president by any means necessary. I'm going to show pa. Who does that remind you of? Man, is disgusting. All right, so it, the list goes on and on. Now,'ll uh, let me read you the press release that John McCain sent. Now at this point, understand I've said it too many times. I don't want to say it again, all the horrific things that have been said and yelled out at, at his rallies. And now you got Republicans from congressmen to former governors to former top strategists for McCain, uh, former cabinet members imploring McCain, "Hey, please, get this out under control." This thing is literally out of control. You're inciting violence. That's what Gergen said. So here's his response. I'm going to give you a direct quote from uh, the McCain campaign. Barack Obama's attacks on Americans who support John McCain reveal far more about him than they do about John McCain. It is clear that Barack Obama just doesn't understand regular people and the issues they care about. He dismisses hardworking middle class Americans as clinging to guns and religion while at the same time attacking average Americans at McCain rallies who are angry at Washington, Wall Street, and the status quo. No apologies, defending his crowds saying they ought to be that angry at McCain. Continuing. Even worse, he attacks anyone who dares to question his readiness to serve as commander in chief, raising legitimate questions about record, character, and judgment. Are a vital part of the democratic process, and Barack Obama's efforts to silence and shame those who seek answers should make everyone wonder exactly what he is hiding. No remorse, no nothing, just telling the troops, go forward, man. Keep questioning him. Who is he? We don't know what he's about. I already talked about this, but who is he is the most repugnant question I've ever heard. Obama's campaign forced to release a 15 minute video on who Barack Obama is. I mean, come on, man. This is clear as day. We can see what's happening here. Governor Milken nailed it with that quote. The real question is who is John McCain?
2: bust them try to cuss him. the cops want someone to bust down on orleans avenue another day another dollar another wall, another towel
3: Increasingly, Americans are figuring out that the the entire basis of conservative economics, of Reaganomics, of Republicanomics, and really, you know, Reaganomics was just putting a new name on something that went back all the way to the 1800s. You know, the the age of the robber barons that brought us the Republican Great Depression of 1929, 1930, that brought us the Republican Depression of the of 1892. That, you know, on and on and on. Really, people are starting to figure out that what this is all about is rule by an economic elite. That's what the Republicans are all about and not the average person. It's one of the reasons. Doonesbury's cartoon this weekend was so spot on. It's one of the reasons they're working so hard to disenfranchise voters. In fact, there's a couple of articles. Mark Crispin Miller sent me one over the weekend suggesting that in many states are going to have really serious problems this fall with regard to voting. ...because they've been foreclosed on. We're looking at a couple of million people who have been foreclosed on. When they show up at the voting polls to vote, their voting registration card shows their old home address, which is no longer their home address. Their home address is now showing as vacant or somebody else, and there will be Republican challengers at the polls saying, sorry, you can't vote... Now, when somebody's been foreclosed on, and again, we're talking a couple million people here, when somebody's been foreclosed on, do you think that they're going to vote for four more years of of George Bush's economic disastrous policy? I doubt it. So the Republican machine already working to disenfranchise even more voters than ever before.
2: saying in her sleep. Oh. Brother's got a date to keep he can't hang around. Our house in the middle of our street. Our house in the middle of our a... Our house it has a crowd. There's always something happening and it's usually quite
4: loud. Oh. Our mum she's so house proud. Nothing ever slows her down and a mess is
5: I'm having Sarah Palin nightmares. I dreamt last night that she was a member of a club where they rode snowmobiles and wore the claws of drowned and starved polar bears around their necks. I have a particular thing for polar bears. Maybe it's their snowy whiteness or their bigness. Or the fact that they live in the Arctic or that I have never seen one in person or touched one. Maybe it's the fact that they live so comfortably on ice. Whatever it is, I need the polar bears. I don't like raging at women. I'm a feminist and I've spent my life trying to build community, help empower women, and stop violence against them. It is hard to write about Sarah Palin. This is why the Sarah Palin choice was all the more insidious and cynical. The people who made this choice count on the goodness and solidarity of feminists. But everything Sarah Palin believes in and practices is antithetical to feminism, which for me is part of one story, connected to saving the earth, ending racism, empowering women, giving young girls options, opening our minds, deepening tolerance and ending violence and war. I believe that the McCain-Palin ticket is one of the most dangerous choices of my lifetime. And should this country choose those candidates, the fallout may be so great, the destruction so vast in so many areas that America may never recover. But what is equally disturbing is the impact that duo would have on the rest of the world. Unfortunately this is not a joke. In my lifetime I have seen the clownish, the inept, the bizarre be elected to the presidency with regularity. Sarah Palin does not believe in evolution. I take this as a metaphor. In her world, in the world of fundamentalists, nothing changes or gets better or evolves. She does not believe in global warming. The melting of the Arctic, the storms that are destroying our cities, the pollution and the rise of cancers are all part of God's plan. She's fighting to take polar bears off the endangered species list. The earth, in Palin's view, is here to be taken and plundered. The wolves and the bears are here to be shot and plundered. The oil is here to be taken and plundered. Iraq is here to be taken and plundered. As she said herself of the Iraqi war, it was a task from God. Sarah Palin does not believe in abortion. She does not believe women who are raped and incested and ripped open against their will should have a right to determine whether they have their rapist baby or not. She obviously does not believe in sex education or birth control. I imagine her daughter was practicing abstinence, and we know how many babies that makes. Sarah Palin does not much believe in thinking. From what I gather, she has tried to ban books from the library and has a tendency to dispense with people who think independently. She cannot tolerate an environment of ambiguity and difference. This is a woman who could and might very well be the next president of the United States. She would govern one of the most diverse populations on earth. Sarah Palin believes in guns. She has her own custom Austrian hunting rifle. She's been known to kill 40 caribou at a clip. She's shot hundreds of wolves from the air. Sarah believes in God. That is, of course, her right, but her private right. But when God and guns come together in the public sector, when war is declared in God's name, when the rights of women are denied in his name, that is the end of separation of church and state and the undoing of everything America has ever tried to be. I write to my sisters. I write because I believe we hold this election in our hands. This vote is a vote that will determine the future, not just of the United States, but of the planet. It will determine whether we create policies to save the earth or make it forever uninhabitable for humans. It will determine whether we move towards dialogue and diplomacy in the world, or whether we escalate violence through invasion, undermining, and attack. It will determine whether we go for oil, strip mining, coal burning, or invest our money in alternatives that will free us from dependency and destruction. It will determine if money gets spent on education and health care or whether we build more and more methods of killing. It will determine whether America is a free and open, tolerant society or a closed place of fear, fundamentalism, and aggression. If the polar bears don't move you to go out and do everything in your power to get Obama elected, then consider the chant that filled the hall after Palin spoke at the RNC. Drill... Drill, drill. I think of teeth when I think of drills. I think of rape, I think of destruction, I think of domination. I think of military exercises that force mindless repetition, emptying the brains of analysis, doubt, ambiguity, or dissent. I think of pain. Do we want a future of drilling? More holes in the ozone and the floors of the sea? More holes in our thinking and the trust between nations and peoples? more holes in the fabric of this precious thing we call life. Hey Sarah Palin, do you tell them in Wasilla that four thousand
2: years ago we roamed the planet with Godzilla? Is it true? I am so fucking scared of you as number two. Hey Sarah Palin, I think Alaska's very 100,000 people more than Oklahoma City, yes it's true, go look it up, I'm telling you, oh man we're through. Whether you could throw library books into a big bonfire God, my eyes This really might be our demise This pack of lies He Sarah Helen, just because you're good at shooting Doesn't mean you have the ammo to negotiate with Putin Are you on coke? This fucking country's up in smoke Oh, what a joke Oh, if you become V.P., oh, what will it mean for me? Oh, if you become V.P., oh, what will it mean for me? Take it to the bridge Just because I can see the moon doesn't make me an astronaut You loon, your foreign policy expertise is poo. I really think a woman commits to a candidate just because she has tits. Please tell me that this ticket is not true. I thought that there could be no worse than Cheney, but here you are, I nurse The man who would cast a vote for you, and McCain, too.
6: As the Republican National Convention rolled out its Just Plain Folks-themed event, emphasizing service and patriotism in the XL Energy Center, protests metastasized into riots in the streets of St. Paul, capped with tear gas, percussion grenades, and 400 people arrested. According to the St. Paul Pioneer Press, Monday kicked off a bad week with nearly 300 arrested, among them an Associated Press photographer and Amy Goodman, host of the TV and radio program Democracy Now! and her crew, all of whom clearly displayed press passes. But reporters saw themselves swept up or even targeted as early as Saturday, when the independent video group Eyewitness was detained preemptively in the house that served as its base of operations. The group was there to document police clashes with protesters. In 2004, at the RNC in New York, Eyewitness provided crucial evidence of police misconduct and perjury that caused charges to be dropped against hundreds of protesters. Altogether, as of this writing, a couple dozen reporters have been arrested in St. Paul, a few from the Associated Press and some newspapers, but mainly, it seems, from small and independent media. Tim Carr of the liberal media watchdog group Free Press wrote that, quote, these local officials think freedom of the press extends only to their allies in the mainstream media. True, few of the mainstream media were caught up in those events. They were fending off more metaphorical assaults inside the hall of the RNC. The American economy is in extremis.
7: Millions of Americans have no health insurance. Our budget deficits have ballooned to historic heights. Osama bin Laden is still at large, and we're still at war. Which is why the Republican Party joined as one to identify, belittle, and confront its foe in this fall's historic election, an opponent that has never been shot down over Vietnam, never had executive experience, and never been a hockey mom. I refer, of course, to the smooth-talking, flag-pin-not-wearing, liberal, elitist media.
3: The Washington sun has been rising in the East. You see, Washington has been looking to the Eastern elites, To the editorial pages of the Times and the Post, the reporting of the past few days had proven tackier than a costume change at a Madonna concert. The citizens of the United States get to decide
8: our next president. Not the left-wing media, not Hollywood celebrities, not anyone else, but the people of America.
5: Here's a little news
3: flash for those reporters and commentators. I'm not going to Washington to seek their good opinion. I'm
5: going to Washington to serve the people of this great country.
7: That was former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, former New York City Mayor Rudolph Giuliani, and former Wasilla, Alaska Mayor Sarah Palin, who 21 months ago became the governor of Alaska, and even more recently, John McCain's running mate. By the way, on Thursday, McCain accepted the nomination.
3: Tonight... I have a privilege given few Americans, the privilege of accepting our party's nomination for President of the United States.
7: But never mind that, if Barack Obama is the rock star of the Democratic Party, Sarah Palin is the superhero of the GOP. A strong but beautiful Wonder Woman from a strange, distant place, imbued with the power to charm a crowd with her homespun biography, thrill with tales of vanquishing special interests, knee Barack Obama in the groin, and, most miraculously of all, coalesce a fractious party around a problematic nominee. Even the nattering nabobs of negativism were pundicizing
8: positively. On a scale of 1 to 10, Sarah Palin was an 11 last night. I mean, the speech was outstanding. I think it put to bed any questions about whether or not she's ready to be the vice president of the United States. She is a terrific, she's an excellent speaker, she's intelligent, she's tough, she's arresting, she's interesting. She really did hit it out of
0: the park tonight, not only here, but
7: for millions of Americans watching across the country, no doubt Anderson Cooper, Campbell Brown, no doubt uh, their first real impression of her had to be
1: very, very... Positive.
7: The choice of Palin also apparently defined the GOP's convention strategy, for when she was named a week earlier, the elitists of the liberal media had the temerity to look into her background. And just as in 1972 and 1984, with Democratic VP picks Thomas Eagleton and Geraldine Ferraro, the press quickly uncovered potential trouble. Within two days, reporters and bloggers discovered that as mayor of Wasilla, the special interest taker honor, had hired a Beltway lobbying firm to help secure federal earmarks for her small town. When she boasted of saying thanks but no thanks to the notorious pork project called the Bridge to Nowhere, they found that she'd supported the project until after it became notorious and then accepted the $233 million anyway. Oh, there was also the firing of the public safety commissioner, who'd refused to fire her sister's ex-husband. Oh, and the attempted elimination of the librarian, who had refused Palin's wish to ban certain books. This is called reporting, unless you're on the GOP talking points routing list, whereupon it becomes shameless smears. Of course, the most sensitive issue, which surfaced as an answer to spurious blog rumors, was her 17-year-old daughter's pregnancy, a fact that may or may not undercut the governor's family values rhetoric, but which probably bore mentioning. Or not. Here's McCain aide Steve Schmidt with Katie Couric of CBS on Tuesday, brandishing a smoking gun of media Ruthlessness.
3: Members of his campaign went to off-the-record lunches with reporters today, and they were asked if she would do paternity tests to prove paternity for a last child. Smear after smear after smear. And it's disgraceful and it's wrong.
7: Hold on. As blogger Josh Marshall points out, those were questions, not stories. So, what smear is he speaking of? And they were asked off-the-record at least until Schmidt on network TV himself violated the confidence. But the McCain campaign doesn't seem to quite understand the whole question-and-answer thing. Here's spokesman Tucker Bounds on CNN Monday with host Campbell Brown.
9: So explain to us why you think Governor Palin is ready to be commander-in-chief.
1: Governor Palin has the good fortune of being on the ticket with John McCain, who there is no question is the most experienced and shown proven judgment on the international stage. He understands foreign affairs. He has a familiarity. Well, we know with all that about John McCain, Tucker. Are-
9: I asked you about her, though, because we all know the role of the VP, mm-hmm. as John McCain has defined it, is to be able to step into the job of the presidency on day one if something should happen to the president. So I'm asking you about her well, certainly- foreign policy experience.
1: Yeah, yeah Campbell certainly there are a number of people that are supporting Barack Obama's candidacy and feel like he's experienced enough to take on the Oval Office our feeling is but that but Governor you're not Payland answering my just question as just, much experience as Barack Obama okay she but, has
9: just but you as much set a different standard the that was, candidate
0: of our opponent
9: what what I'm saying is that you set a different standard by arguing how important it was with John McCain mm-hmm. and and no one's arguing with you that he has much more experience than Barack Obama so I'm just trying to get someone from the campaign to explain to me what foreign policy Policy experience she has, or what qualifications she has, that would uh, allow her to be ready to be commander in chief if something should happen to, to Senator McCain. Well,
3: Gail, let fair me be question, clear. I, I
1: don't it? think there should be any problem explaining her experience. She has executive state level experience. She's been in public office reforming Washington.
7: So been- offended was the McCain campaign at Brown's shameless question asking that it canceled the candidate's planned appearance later in the week on CNN where McCain would have been subjected to more vicious attacks by noted pit bull Larry King. Of course, Campbell Brown might be forgiven for not knowing which aspect of the vice president's resume was off-limits. On Monday, GOP officials castigated the media for violating the Palin family's privacy. At the convention Wednesday night, the campaign trotted out the entire Klan, unwed hockey mom-to-be, dazed-looking boyfriend and all, and put them literally... On stage. Running against the media is a time honored political tactic. Some pundits have speculated that the McCain camp, by playing the media card at the outset of the general election campaign, is trying to work the refs to make the media self conscious of how its reporting might be perceived and then to temper its effort. In a blog posting Wednesday, Time Magazine's Joe Klein would have none of it. Here's NBC News' Brian Williams quoting Klein on the air.
3: I hope my colleagues, meaning his colleagues in the news media, stand strong in this case. It's important for the public to know Palin raised taxes as governor, supported the bridge to nowhere before she opposed it, pursued pork barrel projects as mayor, tried to ban books at the local library, and thinks the war in Iraq is, quote, a task from God. The attempts by the McCain campaign to bully us into not Reporting such things are not only stupidly aggressive, but unprofessional in the extreme.
7: You'd like to think the press will be unapologetic and uncowed, but don't be too sanguine. Less than 10 minutes later on MSNBC, correspondent Savannah Guthrie, reporting from Palin's hometown, described entering a local bar and asking questions. Kind of defensively, kind of meekly, if you ask me
5: they were very proud of her and the strong speech she gave tonight. I asked some of the people there, now come on, you may be mad at the media and they are, but didn't it take you a little while to get used to her too? And they said, "Yes, it is true that she took some getting used to."
7: So, they're mad. That's their problem, Savannah. It's certainly not yours.
10: Begin by doing something a little unusual.
3: I'd like to thank the elite media for doing something that, quite frankly, I wasn't sure could be done, and that's unifying the Republican Party and all of America in support of Senator McCain.
1: It is a man by the name of Gabriel Nathan Schwartz he was at the Republican National Convention. I'm going to tell you what happened to him first before I show an interview with him. Why? Because as you watch this interview I want you to understand what kind of a fool this man is. Uh, After he gave this interview he went uh, during the convention and met an attractive woman. Went upstairs at about four o'clock in the morning with her and thought he was going to get lucky. She made some drinks for him told him to get naked uh, and that's the last thing he remembers. She then apparently drugged him earlier, gave him the drink, he passes out, and robbed him blind. She planted the flag, as it were, and took $120,000 worth of valuables off of Gabriel Schwartz. Okay, This guy who thinks he's so smart got his ass handed to him the night after this interview. Now you're going to love this. Check it out.
4: And on the floor of the Republican National Convention, all week long, we're bringing you special programming as we examine what change looks like in the 2008 election. Well, earlier I spoke with a delegate from Colorado. He had a vision for change in U.S. foreign policy, and it was certainly a hawkish one. It's the 2008 election. What is your vision for change under a John McCain administration? Less taxes and more war. Less taxes and more war. More war. So, where should the United States bomb next? Iran, baby. Why? Why should we bomb Iran? Protect Israel. So, you think Iran is threatening Israel right now and the U.S. should intervene on behalf of Israel? Absolutely. Or Israel do it themselves. So, what would that look like? What would a war on Iran look like? Hopefully, just uh, bomb the hell out of them from the sky. No troops. Um, Are you worried about uh, the escalating costs of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. I mean, how would we pay for a war in Iran? We should plant a flag. Take the oil. Take the money. Somebody we took d- the we money. We reimbursement. <laughs> okay. Somebody um, so you your commander in right, so chief, talk to me about how it works. I mean, how do you? I mean, do you invade? Are there troops on the ground? Are you just bombing overhead? Just do strategical airstrikes Take out their nuclear facility. Simple. Oh yeah, real so, simple. Um, yeah. In particular, though, what what is Iran doing to threaten Israel? Talk about that relationship. Building nuclear weapons threatens the world. No, they're not. Israel has nuclear weapons. They don't threaten the world. (laughs) All right, so if Ahmadinejad were here today, what would you say
11: to him? I can't wait for this.
4: Destroy your nukes. He doesn't have any, you idiot. All right, all right. So should the United States use nuclear weapons when it attacks Iran? (laughs) We could use slingshots and beat them, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you have a message for the people outside who are protesting the Republicans? Get a job. You can protest, but don't get arrested, man. (laughs) All right. So John McCain said we might be in Iraq for another hundred years. Um, You support that? We're still in Japan. We're still in Germany. We've been there over sixty years.
1: All right, there you have it. The genius Gabriel Schwartz. What man? Just plant a flag and take their money. Well, somebody took his advice that night. (laughs) They just planted a flag in his hotel room and took his money. Then the dumbass wakes up, goes into the files of police reports, says $120,000 of mine was stolen. I mean, we're talking about. Uh, $50,000 in personal, $30,000 watch. He had a $30,000 watch on his ass. A $20,000 ring, a necklace uh, valued at $5,000. He had earrings priced at $4,000. This guy was a walking sign of, rob me, plant a flag. (laughs) Okay, And I just, I couldn't be happier about a robbery. Uh, It's wrong. Uh, I'm denouncing and rejecting it. And don't do any robberies. But man, did you pick the right person to rob? <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a comeuppance. You want to talk about a person who had a coming. What? We just take their oil. It's simple. You know, we just bomb it from the air. and then we take their oil. Who cares? We're stronger than that. So I guess, uh, you know, I guess when you shouldn't even file the police report, she outsmarted you. You were an idiot. You were a schmuck. And you had your. Stuff stolen, you should just go up to her, the police and say, "Hey, they should just took my natural resources. What could I do? She was smarter than I was. That's the Republican way." And then you just told me it was. And then he says, "Oh, the police are exaggerating it. It's not 120,000. It's 50,000. Why are the police exaggerating? You gave him the police report. <laughs> it's not like they picked a the number out of the sky. You gave it to him. So, I mean, this guy's a total and utter clown." I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm the bad guy, but I loved what happened to him.
9: Today, the Justice Department released a scathing report on the firings of nine U.S. attorneys. Who fired them and why? The report is harsh but incomplete. The White House would not cooperate with the investigation. And now a criminal prosecutor is taking over. NPR's Ari Shapiro has the story.
10: This report is essentially a roadmap to one of the most chaotic periods in the Justice Department's history. And it has no praise for anyone who is in charge then. A few quotes. Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, quote, failed to exercise appropriate leadership and supervision throughout this entire process. Deputy Attorney General Paul McNulty made public statements that were, quote, inconsistent, misleading, or inaccurate. Chief of Staff Kyle Sampson, who oversaw the U.S. Attorney firings, quote, mishandled the removal process from the outset. Those men resigned over the controversy, as did many others. Investigators found no evidence that anyone at the Justice Department evaluated the reasons for firing each U.S. attorney. And they found that no one tried to keep improper political considerations out of the firing process. That means prosecutors might have been fired for refusing to indict Democrats or for going after Republicans. The report, in fact, says there is, quote, substantial evidence that partisan political considerations played a role in some of the dismissals. When New Mexico's former U.S. attorney David Iglesias read the report this morning, he says he felt a tremendous sense of relief and vindication.
4: What I've been saying all along has now been substantiated that that these firings were wrongful. There was no legal basis for them. And now it's going to the next level, which is they may have broken criminal
10: laws. The report describes the Iglesias case as the most troubling. He was fired after New Mexico's Republican Senator Pete Domenici complained to the White House and to Attorney General Gonzalez that Iglesias was not prosecuting Democrats before Election Day. Investigators can't say for sure whether anyone broke a law in the Iglesias case or others, because neither Domenici nor the White House would cooperate with the investigation. Former White House counsel Harriet Myers refused to testify, and so did former political advisor Karl Rove. At one point, the White House created a timeline of the U.S. attorney firings. They shared that timeline with the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel. And when investigators asked for the timeline, the White House told the Office of Legal Counsel not to hand it over. Today, Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island blamed current Attorney General Michael Mukasey for tolerating Bush administration's stonewalling.
3: Why did the Attorney General not direct the
1: Office of Legal Counsel To provide the reports, why did he not go to the White House and say, if you're not cooperating, I'm not your attorney general any longer?
10: Attorney General Mukasey did follow the inspector general's top recommendation. He appointed a prosecutor named Nora Danahy to pursue the questions the inspector general was unable to answer. One issue she'll examine is whether Alberto Gonzalez committed any crimes. George Terwilliger is Gonzalez's lawyer, and he's upset that the investigation will continue.
4: Look, the bottom line is the report does not report any evidence of criminal wrongdoing, and whether they were able to answer all the questions they wanted to ask or not is beside the point.
10: Former U.S. attorneys are a close bunch, and this morning, lots of them were reading this report, including Republican Matt Orwig of Dallas.
4: It's literally sickening.
10: Orwig was once called a loyal Bushy, a description he finds offensive. He says the Justice Department has always had a wall of independence from political influence.
4: That wall of independence was just uh, completely torn down, burned, and hauled off.
10: He says it will take years to rebuild that wall. Ari Shapiro, NPR News, Washington.
2: Today is going to be the day that they're going to throw it back to you. By now you should have somehow realized what you got to do.
11: Right now, we're talking with former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman about the sordid, creepy career of Carl Rove. The stories about Carl Rove are almost there are too many almost to tell. But let's run through them really quickly. First of all, you don't, no, no need to go back into the Valerie Plame. No question at this point, Carl Rove was the guy behind the Valerie Plame issue. The way he got out of it was he basically cut a deal. You know, cut a deal, Scooter Libby took the heat on it, Karl Rove walked away. That's another one he walked away from. Another one he walked away from, if you recall, all the way back in his early career, is when the FBI actually caught him, where he had gone to the FBI, and he said that that, that his political opposition had planted a microphone in his candidate's office and was spying on his candidate's office. The only problem with that was there was no microphone, there was no spying, and Karl Rove put some kind of archaic little listening device in there, and the FBI said, this is a fraud, and you're trying. Basically, he committed a felony then, but they let him go. Go before that. They knew it was Carl Rove who had who had engineered this scheme, to where he had actually sent flyers out to a home, basically it was homeless
8: people. It was, it was a terrible thing. Both, I mean, you know he, the story. Oh yeah, but he just just invited people, uh, homeless people and people uh, you know living on the streets to come to a free party for his his uh, the person that Rove was was running against. His Rove's client was running against. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a terrible thing to do to these homeless people, but it was, a, it was also a terrible thing to do. To,
11: well, no, what to... he did in the flyer, he actually sends a flyer out and said, we're going to have free food, we're going to have free, dr- free beer, right. and women. And so he sends his flyer out to everybody, has Karl Rove's hands all over it. As a matter of fact, they find out that Karl Rove had actually, st- had actually stolen the, uh, the, the paper, the letterhead, the letterhead, from the office of this politician and had used it to send the memos out. So to bring this full circle, you have to understand, you know, this guy learned under Lee Atwater. Lee Atwater and Don Segretti, and and even Lee Atwater in the last days of his life said, you know what, some things are too ugly. Some people that I've worked with around in my career are just too ugly. And he makes this, it was was kind of a pitiful situation because uh, the man was dying. Lee Atwater was dying of a brain tumor. And in these last days, he, he he writes about the remorse that he felt about having engaged in all these dirty tricks with Donald Segretti, with Carl Rove, and even even a man the caliber of Lee Atwater is saying, you know what,
8: this guy's a little too we, nasty for yeah, me. We may have gone too far. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Rove knows no boundaries. He will use any power that he has to... Gain or retain power. And what is so tragic to me is that unless Congress acts, unless Congress votes to hold Rove in contempt. We will never know the, the full truth. Now,
11: okay, so what what is
8: why is it that you say that if Congress has to do it now, what if, what if November... They're not going to do it. The, the Democrats are always too magnanimous in victory. After, after Watergate, Jimmy Carter... Bill, Bill
11: Clinton's a good example. Jimmy Carter's and, right, a good example.
8: Bill Clinton didn't do anything on, on the Iran-Contra, uh-huh. and Carter didn't do anything about Watergate. And and uh, you know, bless his soul, Barack Obama is not going to do anything about Karl Rove because they're going to be interested, and rightly so. You know, they want to they want to project their, okay. their positive agenda and fix the problem. Okay, the but let me tell you the pro- let me tell
11: you if they if they pay attention to history, Bill Clinton let let all of these thugs go on Iran Contra. Okay, he let George Bush Senior go. He let uh, the he let Rumsfeld go. He let Richard Pearl go. He let all these people that were involved in Iran country go. And he said, "Look, we just have to be nice." They all we just have him. to make nice, and exactly. What did what happened? They all organized, they all went after him. Now, if Obama doesn't understand that little piece of history, somebody ought to explain it to him. That there's well, not, there's
8: not make nice with these people. Well, you're, you're dealing here's, with. Here's how we explain it to him, though. I, I think it's it's up to us. Thomas Jefferson said, "Whenever the people see things that are so far wrong, as to attract their attention, the people can be relied upon to set those wrongs to right. The people understand." It. That, that this man has done bad things to their country, has misused his power, and abused the Department of Justice, using it as a political weapon to destroy his political enemies. They want, the people want something done about it. It's up to the people now to contact their congressman and demand that the Congress vote this impeachment, uh, vote this uh, co- contempt citation when they get back in September. Otherwise... Do you have Republicans willing to say yet on this? I think, yeah, there's at least one that was, uh, I can't recall his name right off, but there was at least one congressman who was on. Uh, Republican
11: congressman. Yeah.
8: Says the, even these facts rise to something we ought to take Absolutely, a look at. Absolutely, that the contempt citation needs to be voted on. And if we're ever going to know the truth, if we're ever, it needs to be done now. And to do otherwise, I'm afraid we'll set up two, two systems of justice, one for the, for the powerful, those connected to the White House, and then another system of justice for the rest of us. And it will set uh, a a horrible standard whereby this kind of behavior will become part of America's political culture and will be more likely rather than less likely to happen in in the future.
1: Last night I'm playing uh, pickup basketball, I've explained this on the show before, uh, for those of you who don't play pickup basketball, uh, the rules are that you call your own fouls. So if you've been fouled, you say, hey, I've been fouled, and the other team is supposed to respect that call. And uh, it, it works both ways. You shouldn't call BS fouls, because otherwise the game breaks down and we have a little bit of anarchy. And at the same time, even if you think the other person's call is a little shaky, you should respect it anyway, because we don't have professional refs here, right? Uh, And every once in a while, a Republican will come into the game and totally screw it up. And that's what happened last night. Now, when I say Republican, I don't mean that the kid actually votes Republican. I mean that he represents Republicans in this fun political analogy we're about to do. So last night was one of those nights. Guy comes out on the court. It's a great game. Everybody's having fun. Really, really close. Except this one guy, every time he's touched or not touched, every time he has the ball foul, Throws up the ball and goes foul. All right, now people do this sometimes when they're not very good. People do it to cheat, basically, to try to win. And the other thing that they do is when you call foul, they don't respect it and they argue and argue and argue. Right? And the guy does this systematically. I don't know. He's got a psychological problem. Right? And a perfect example of it is uh, in the middle of the game. Uh, I have the ball. He slaps me in the face. <laughs> this is a literal story. Okay. And I said, "All right, foul." And he said, "What? What are you talking about? Where, where, where's the foul? You'd already lost the ball." I'm like, "Yeah, I lost the ball when you slapped me in the face. <laughs> that is the prototypical foul call, right? And everybody's like looking at him, like, "Come on, dude, are you serious, <laughs> right?" But he does this throughout the whole game. And what was the final result of it? Uh, well, it comes down to 12-12, and we play the games of 13, so it's a tie ball game. Couldn't be any closer. Uh, and and they have the last possession and they score, and they win 13-12. So score a victory for the bad guys. Uh, did his ranting and raving uh... help him? Absolutely. They got about two to four more possessions in the game because of his total nonsense calls. What you can effectively characterize as cheating, right? And that's exactly what the Republicans do during the elections and he, the reason I bring up this whole thing is because, in the middle of all this, towards the end of the game, after he makes every nonsense call, and I'll tell you if that it's not just me, I'll explain at the end how everybody agreed to this, right? You'll see at the end of the story, so anyway at the, towards the end of the game, he says. Uh, turns to one of the guys on our team. He's like, "What? You're uh, 100% right on every issue, and I'm 100% wrong on every call?" No, obviously that can't be. So you have to respect my call, right? And I don't respect your call. And it's exactly what the Republican Party's been doing for the last eight years: turning to the media after hitting people in the face and making 100% of the wrong calls, and then go, "Oh, what? You got to be balanced. You can't what?" Oh, the Democrats are right 100% of the time. We're wrong right 100%. Of the time. It can't be right. So you have to call them dirty and us dirty, and you have to call them wrong and us wrong, all at the same time. And if you ever dare call us wrong, then you got to call them wrong just as much. I mean, the guy must went to the Karl Rove School of Basketball, right? So what happens? They won the first game because they cheated and they had a better advantage. They won the second game, and by the end of the third game, no one wanted to play with them. Literally. Not only the opposing teams, but half of his own team had turned on the guy. And they were like, I can't, there's no sense in playing this game anymore. Y- you've lost this, <laughs> right? And so the first game, in this tight, fun little analogy, is 2000. The second game is 2004. Yes, in the short term, your antics and your screaming and your whining and your cheating definitely helped you. And it sucks, but that's the way the world works. It did. But in the third game, 2008, nobody wants to play with you anymore, man. You've lost half your own team. And they look at you and go, ah, pathetic. So that's exactly where the Republicans find themselves today. And in the midst of all of this, John McCain, here's announcement number one, is running the flat-out ugliest race I have ever seen in my lifetime. I know I said this yesterday, but I gotta double re-emphasize it, I gotta triple quadruple reemphasize it. No, it's not even close anymore. The implications, the inferences that Barack Obama is a terrorist and hangs around with terrorists, the you know, who is he? He's not one of us. Americans like us believe this, but Obama believes that. It is just rancid. It is despicable. Now, we've got Republican congressmen like Congressman LaHood in Illinois saying this is a campaign that does not befit the presidency of the United States, specifically calling out Sarah Palin, saying what she's doing doesn't befit her, uh, the office she's running for. You've got uh, Republican governor of Michigan, former governor of Michigan, calling coming out and saying, well, you know what, I had endorsed John McCain before, but this is not the guy I endorsed. Those are strong, strong words from fellow Republicans. John Kerry, who considered having John McCain on his ticket in 2004, has come out and said this is uh, just the worst kind of smear tactics I've ever seen. And it's true. We're going to play you some tapes uh, here of things that are going on in rallies. But most importantly, is John McCain's reaction to all this. As people say, like John Kerry and like those Republicans, come out, and like former advisors to John McCain, come out and say, hey, you got to repudiate this, man. This is ugly. This is the worst kind of ugliness. He has come out. Here, I'll tell you that right now. He's come out and said, you know what? He just issued a, a release saying, no, uh, I won't repudiate anything. And in fact, Barack Obama is guilty of. Attacking my crowds. You understand that? No, no, no. The guy's yelling out terrorist, treason, off with his head, kill him, socialists, etc., they're not the ones that are at fault. John McCain just sent out a press release, his campaign did, saying Barack Obama is at fault for questioning anyone in my audience. My audience are real Americans. You know what that goes what that tells you? He says, Yeah, no, I'm gonna keep doing it. I'm going to keep labeling on the terrorist because I'm down 10 points, and I don't care what happens. I'm going to go out swinging, and I'm going to, if I have to run the most vile campaign in the history of the United States, I'll do it. That's exactly what John McCain just told you today. All right, now get a load of these rallies. All right, first off, here we go again. These are not repeats. These are new over and over and over again. Video number five, this time, Obama's a traitor. All right, let's watch he voted for the democratic budget resolution
3: that promised to raise taxes on people making just forty two thousand dollars a year and now
1: uh... first of all uh, on that occasion for those of you who are listening to the program and not watching it it was absolutely clear that john mccain and his wife who was standing behind him Cindy McCain both looked at the person who yelled traitor because she screamed traitor and they both looked at her and were like yeah nicely done and moved on no mention of anything else hey no don't do that David Gergen who you're going to see it again right here David Gergen who has worked for Republicans and Democrats alike said this is getting to the point where they are inciting violence possibly inciting violence all right, turn it up. Making just $42,000 a See, you see Cindy McCain turn? Trader, Cindy McCain turns. Now John McCain turns. God, man, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And what, are they not aware in that their previous four, five, six, seven rallies, people have been yelling these type of things? And then they hear it again, and they pretend not to hear it? And then they come out with a press release saying, "Oh no, no, no you can't attack our crowds. Our, ta- our crowds can attack you, but you can't attack our crowds." No, but seriously, man, I'm for the first time as I was reading these stories, and we got more clips and more rallies for you, all fresh, all new. These are not repeats, okay? As I'm reading these stories and I'm watching these crowds, for the first time today, I got scared. I did. I mean, Dave. Gurgon is right there inciting people to violence, man. When you don't when you say I support the people who yell out traitor and treason and off with his head, what what message are you sending? And then I, f- I had a brief flash there and I thought, "My god, if anything happens to Barack Obama,
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. So the chances are extremely good that by the time you hear this, the voting process at the podcast awards will have begun. We did make the cut. uh, Very exciting times. Thanks to you guys, we were nominated for a podcast award in the political category. Thank you very much. Now is the time to vote. So check out bestofleft.com. right at the top of the page. You'll see everything you need to know. It's a really simple process to go to podcastawards.com, vote for the show in the political category, and then the really important step is to make sure you give them an accurate email address. They pride themselves on the accuracy of their voting system, and so they do require that every vote that's cast be confirmed uh, with an with a email confirmation link. So if you have any inclination in helping out the show, this is the way to do it. Two straight weeks of voting 15 days between October 23rd and November 6th. You can vote every day, and we'll see if we can't make a run for the big prize here. For more up-to-date and timely information about uh, about voting or anything else we do, I highly recommend you subscribe to our Best of the Left blog at bestoftheleft.com. We've got a great team working there, uh, putting up great posts about uh, articles, videos. ...different things like that as well as the show notes to all of the episodes of the podcast. So it's a a great resource. I really recommend you check it out. And while you're there, while you're looking uh, through some of of what we've been doing... ...ask yourself if you might like to be involved. We're still looking for more bloggers. It's always great to have uh, more people on the team. So uh, if you are interested in helping to contribute to the blog... Just drop me an email at hippysympathizer at gmail.com. My contact information is available all over the website, so you'll be able to find it. And that's it for today. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the border, and conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you from bestoftheleft.com. Light, light, snow,
2: black and white. Took a picture that was right burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room The shadow bases the throne Who'll take you out